Hello, and welcome, dear friends. Huh. I am very happy today. I am happy this week. I think it is because the in-between time is past, and now we are headed towards something entirely new. And isn't that exciting? We are, at least I am, entirely in winter now. And once you accept that it's winter, and that the time of green and gold is over, winter is a different blessing, but a blessing nonetheless. Everything is covered in white. Everything is soft. Everything is waiting. And in that waiting, there is peace. But I am not entirely in peace. I am happy, but my energy is building again. I have rested enough. I am ready for something. But what? It must be something. I feel that something rustling in the woods, active in the trees, even in the quiet of a snowfall, for the snow hasn't stopped falling for days now. There is something here, something waiting, something mischievous, even if it is within me. There is something here, and it is new, and I am already in love with it. So I went out. Out, out from under the ground and up above into the fresh air, which felt cold in my lungs but didn't feel uncomfortable. Once I accepted the cold, it no longer stung or hurt. Once I accepted that I am a creature of ice and snow now, I went to that lake I've told you about many times. The small one, in my forest close to where I dwell. It was entirely frozen over, somehow, already. I walked on top of the lake. I saw the shadows of huge, lazy fish swimming under my feet. What a lovely thing to be on top of the water and staring in. How blue it was, almost as blue as my skin is now. I sat cross-legged in the center of the lake, where everything was so quiet. I took my deck of tarot cards out. It had been hiding in my mane of white hair, now silver and gray too, as though my own body felt the need of growing its own wolf's fur to help keep me warm. Which it did because I can create anything I need. Once I learned that, it easily appeared. Anyway, I shuffled. As I shuffled, I asked a simple question as I always do. Who or what is in my forest this winter? I drew the Four of Pentacles. Is this our first Pentacles card? Of course, like all ancient, powerful things, money cannot be good or bad. It simply is. It is how we use it. How we let it control our lives. That is good or bad. 
It is unfortunate, perhaps, that we need it. So, the Four of Pentacles. It represents a mind that is obsessed with scarcity and fear. A mind desperate for control. Wanting, needing, hoarding, saving too vigorously. Out of fear of needing, wanting later. It represents materialism. But not because you find joy in things, but because you are afraid of not having them. Greed. Obsession. Possessiveness. That is in my forest this winter. Well, perhaps it is a warning. As I am exiting a period of recovery, after exerting myself so vigorously in the fall, I needed to care for only myself for a while. Now, it is the season of giving, is it not? And I think I'm ready to be out and about, among the trees, ready for visitors in the forest. I took my cards and walked, my bare feet blew against the ice, towards the shore where, dangling from the branch of a still green pine tree, was a little trinket, a tribute. It was a little clear, shining stone, dangling from a bit of rope, perfectly smooth and round. The sun caught in its shapes and reflected every color across my hands as they reached up to touch the crystal. Someone has been to my forest, and someone has left me a gift. Welcome. I took the jewel and wore it around my neck. Anyway, I have a story for you. A story for the Four of Pentacles, and the man who was brave enough to let them go. Once upon a time, there was an adventurer. Some might have called him an archaeologist, for he spent his days traveling the world and excavating tombs and historic sites. Some might have called him a scholar, for he spent his evenings studying the crypts he hadn't yet discovered, planning his next journey. Some might have called him a thief, for he plundered secret places that were meant to remain a secret, and he gave away the riches he found there to the highest bidder. He was indeed all of these things, not an entirely good or bad man, just a man who was committed to doing the one thing in life he knew how to do to survive and eventually thrive, and who was unable to look much farther beyond that who among us cannot identify with that at some point or another in our lives. But sometimes, my friends, something comes along in our lives that parts that curtain for us, if we will not do it for ourselves. Of course, our story really begins when he plundered the wrong tomb and took the wrong treasure. He had been hunting for the burial place of an infamous captain, 
a man known for his cleverness in battle and his hunger for conquest, his thirst for blood, a man who had a knack for finding things, hidden things, and who used it to build a vast empire for himself. He was rich beyond count, and yet, according to our archaeologists' studies, he was buried in a little cave on a hidden island, away from his own home and, consequently, away from the rest of his well-known opulent wealth. As our adventurer entered the cave, climbed down and down for hours, braved slippery rocks and frigid waters, he knew he had found the right place when he saw the bones of a person, draped in the rotting fabric of an ancient captain's uniform, with his skeleton grin wide open in an eternal scream. The corpse was surrounded by gold and jewels, but he held in his hands a very small chest, plain and brown, which his bones still clutched to with whatever strength they possessed in death. His team would venture down as soon as he came up, to collect the gold, the treasure, the coins, everything down there. It would all go to museums, likely, and what there were multiples of could be sold for higher prices to anyone who wanted them badly enough. This was a find unlike any he'd made before. Not of great historical significance, but one that could make it so that he would never have to work another day in his life. Whether or not he would, would remain to be seen. This place would be empty within the week. But before he climbed back up to announce the discovery, he had to know what was in the chest that the captain was holding. He tried to pull it from the skeleton's grip, but the bony hands held on so tight that its arms seemed to reach out and beg for the adventurer not to take his precious gift from him. But eventually he gave up and dropped his arms back at his sides as the intruder took the casket. The intruding adventurer stood in the little ray of sunlight that crept into this cave so that he could see his prize better. In front of him, there were four stones. They were raw, uncut. They had pieces of gray or brown rock, dirt that had been pulled out of the earth with them. But hidden away in that rock, shining and full of every color of the rainbow, was an opalescent stone he had never seen before. Smooth in some places, sharp in others, purple here, green there, red here, blue there. Every color reflected through these stones, and the light bounced that color off of them and right into our adventurer's heart. He found that he could not look away.
it came from the skeleton. It could not have come from the skeleton. He took no heed of the baleful sound. The only thing that mattered were these four magnificent stones. He closed the casket and ascended. He told no one about them. He would sell everything else. He could finally build himself a mansion on the seaside. He could furnish it with the finest antiques he'd always wanted. He could join all of the most exclusive clubs. He could dine on only the most decadent foods that he'd only dreamed of before. He would do all of this according to his plan. But it wouldn't matter. Nothing mattered except for his true treasure. He began to understand how the captain had gained a reputation for being bloodthirsty, hungry for battle, violently possessive of his treasure. He began to understand the stories of him murdering for his riches. It was all for these beautiful, shining things, these entrancing stones. It was for this. And now... This adventurer had them in his grasp. All night, alone in his home, he would worry over them, fuss over them. He hid them under his bed. He would not make a display case for them. He would not create jewelry from them. He would not have a geologist inspect them. All things he would instruct someone else to do if they were in his shoes. They were for him, these jewels. They were his. That was all they were for. One year to the day of his discovery, he sat in his humble bedroom in front of the chest. He opened it, and he stared at those stones. You see, he never did buy that mansion. He never did buy those antiques. He didn't join any clubs or dine on any delicacies. All he did was sit there and stare at those jewels. He could afford to do nothing but sit and stare after his discovery. He only needed to survive. He was not concerned with thriving, because for one entire year, every single night, he was plagued by terrors. Every night he would lie in bed and pray, pray, pray for the deep sleep that would never come. Instead, what came every night was that captain. The adventurer lay in bed until he would inevitably hear the sound of his closet door creep open. He would hear a pained sigh heavy footsteps, and the sound of the chest being pulled out from under the bed. He could hear the chest being opened, and then the sound of wailing. All night long, every night. If he managed to sleep a little, he would have dreams of that cave. But every night it was deeper and deeper, and more and more vast, 
The treasure all around him was greater than when he had even discovered it. And that treasure meant nothing, because the captain was there, standing in front of him. He had flesh on his bones in these dreams. He had long hair, healthy and shining. He had large eyes, wet and frantic. He had bloody hands that clasped an empty chest. Bring them back, the captain cried. Bring them back. That was all he said. Over and over and over. Bring them back. Bring them back. Bring them back. Bring them back. And the adventurer would wake up. Sometimes the wailing had stopped. Sometimes it hadn't. But, though he could not see the ghost in his room, the captain was in both his dreams and his bedroom night after night, begging for the stones to be returned to him. Never, the adventurer would tell him in his dreams. Never, ever. They are mine. And the captain would cry and scream and rage and bellow. Every night, this same battle, and he would leave without a trace. Except that the chest full of those strange stones would have two bony handprints on it. One year from the day he discovered them, as I said, he sat in front of the chest in his room, and he opened it, staring at those stones. Hardly any sleep for an entire year. He barely ate anything, and he was only a shadow of the great adventurer he once was. Now he was almost a skeleton himself, rotting away, staring at treasure, his own life dwindling away. For the first time in a year, he felt perhaps that he could actually see the change the stones had wrought in himself. But so be it. What did he matter? What was he compared to these treasures? He fell asleep that night with the chest in his arms. He had another dream. He was in that cave. But the strapping and striking and desperate captain was gone. The treasure was gone. Everything was gone. Except for the cave. As he stood in that empty place, now, he realized that it went much farther and much deeper. But he hadn't explored it because he had found his ultimate treasure. Why would he need to look any further? But from that emptiness, he saw lights shining, purple, green, red, and blue against the wall. He heard what he imagined was the sound of crystals singing, if such a thing were possible. And he heard a terrible cry from deep, deep within. And the ground began to shake 
and the walls began to quake, and the noise grew unbearable. It filled him with pain and fear. And as he woke, he still felt that pain and fear, and he still heard the noise. As he opened his eyes and saw before him two hollow eyes of a skull, a mouth opened in an eternal scream, and he felt two skeletal hands desperately clutching at his throat, arms reaching and stretching, desperately clinging, and the captain's voice, hoarse and empty now just like his eyes, repeated, Bring them back. Bring them back. Until he stopped, and he froze. She's coming. The skeleton's voice whispered, though his jaw did not move. And suddenly his mouth widened, his bones shone a transparent, opalescent crystal. He seemed to be illuminated by some distant light the adventurer could not see. And those empty eyes, that before seemed to be full of fear, seemed somehow wider, full of something else. As he turned from mere bone into shining rock himself, and in a blinding flash of light, disappeared. And the adventurer was left with the chest of rocks, once more, gasping for breath. Red marks shaped like desperate fingers burned into his neck. When he woke, he grabbed the chest and ran from his home. His clothes he'd worn for digging a year before hung on him loosely now, and his words were not clear or confident, as he easily paid for a ship and a crew to take him to that island once more. But lucky for him, his money spoke clearly and confidently enough. His sea legs were weak on the ship. His climbing arms shook as he rappelled down into that cave, and his eyes were perfectly used to the deep dark of the earth, since he'd seen it so often in his dreams. It was exactly as he remembered it, right down to the smell of moss and the sound of steadily dripping water. All of the treasure was gone. The captain was gone. Of course they were. He emptied this cave last year. And as such, he was able to see the tunnel, the deeper tunnel, further down. The one he hadn't saw fit to discover last time, because he had found the greatest treasure in the world. He was clutching the chest in his arms. Even as he told himself he had to let go, he found it intensely difficult to do so. He had to pry one finger at a time from the wood. And he did. And it fell to the ground and cracked open, revealing the four stones. From the emptiness of the tunnel he saw lights. Shining, purple, 
green, red, and blue against the walls. He trembled. He heard what he imagined was the sound of crystals singing, if such a thing were possible. He shook, and he heard a terrible cry from deep, deep within. And suddenly he began to realize that he wasn't returning the stones to the dead captain, but rather to something much, much older, something much more powerful. And fearful tears fell down his face, and the ground began to shake, and the walls began to quake. He fell to the ground, prostrate against the cold rock, his face pressed against it. He clasped his hands over his ears, against the loud noise that rattled his bones. How do I describe what he felt next? How can I describe what it feels like to be grabbed by something? as easily as you would grab with one hand a fork, or a doll, or a pebble. That is how he was grabbed. It did not hurt. She was so large that she could wrap all five of her elegant fingers around him and hold him easily in the palm of her hand. He opened his eyes, and could only see that clear opalescent purple, green, red, and blue, and a light, clear and white, and shining her rainbow throughout that cave, until with two fingers she turned him around, and he saw her face. Suddenly he understood what it must have felt like to be one of those stones Looking up at him, she looked at him the way he had looked at them, fixed, obsessed, greedy. She was collecting him, just as she had collected the captain and anyone else who had dared steal from her to add her gems to a collection of their own. I brought them back. I brought them back, he cried. She arched her brow as he wept. Hush. He heard her enormous voice echo. With her other hand, she gently pointed an index finger, as tall as he was, at his heart at the same time that his heart began to gently vibrate and sing. So too did the stones in the chest. I give you what you want. His eyes widened as he thought she might give him even just one of those beautiful stones. But oh, the spirit of this cave had more in mind than that. She hummed 
a deep and rumbling hum. A frequency that continued to shake the walls and the roof and the ground all around him. So much so that pieces of rock shook off and fell, and bats screamed and flew out of the place. He could feel his bones rattling, rattling more violently than they ever had before. So much so that he didn't know if he could take it. If he could live through this. She made his bones sing. And soon, his skeleton shone so brightly that it streamed through his skin and surrounded him with their rainbow glow. His skeleton vibrated with the primal, powerful energy of a being so ancient and alone that she couldn't help share just a little of what she had with him, now that he had returned her precious gems. His bones were crystal now, shining, opalescent, transparent. His jaw dropped in a pure expression of awe and adoration. He had loved that power, those colors, those crystals so dearly that she made it a part of him. He felt so much joy, glee, ecstasy, that he could do nothing other than scream. And she screamed back at him, and he glowed all the more brightly for it. And so did she. When he awoke, he was above ground. He had been found a day later. He gently thanked his rescuers and paid them a handsome reward. He ate a large meal and slept in a comfortable bed. He had no dreams. He awoke and felt calm. He felt joy. He went forward every day of his life with that joy, and he readily gave it to others. Though they seemed a little put off by his strange, quiet smile, and his distant eyes that seemed always to be looking for something, looking past their skin, looking deep, deep into them, so that he could see what colors hid inside them, in their crystal bones. I went back to my little home under the tree roots, and I found the little plastic bracelet a child gave me in the summer. It doesn't match my new necklace very well. But these things are for enjoying, not for keeping. And perhaps they shall both make me twinkle a little more in the forest. And then perhaps someone will know that if they are walking in the woods and they see a glinting light, they should follow, follow, follow it deep 
deep, deep into the woods. And just when everything is dark, and they think that there is no one there among the trees with them, they will look a little closer into the shadows, and they will see light dancing off the surface of my cold skin, and they will see long pointed fingers, like icicles, reaching up to them in welcome. Crystalline and blue for now, for winter, but always changing. And they will be afraid, but not for long, for then they will be filled with curiosity. And then we will have fun. I won't collect them. I don't do that anymore. I don't collect monsters or ghosts or people. Just stories. And not for keeping, but for sharing. I am woken up to a new season. And here, I can do anything. Good night, my friends. See you in the woods. Hello, my friends, and thank you so much for joining me for episode 122 of On a Dark Cold Night. This is Kristen Zaza here, and if you don't know me, I'm your writer, composer, performer, producer of the show. Welcome to December, my friends. First off, I'd like to take a moment to chat with you about NordVPN. A VPN is a virtual private network, which NordVPN describes as a service that protects your internet connection and privacy online. Right now, you can get 68% off NordVPN. It's only $3.71 a month, plus you can get an additional four months free at nordvpn.com goodnight. Or you can just go to checkout and use my coupon code by entering goodnight in the description box. Again, that's nordvpn.com goodnight, or offer code goodnight at checkout. Thanks so much, friends. Now on to some thank yous. I'd like to thank Ramon Starboard, my new patron of the show this week, who pledged a monthly amount in support of the show on Patreon. Thank you so much for supporting the show and for listening, Ramon Starboard. Speaking of which, all patrons on Patreon receive access to my downloadable soundtrack of the show, which is ever-evolving. If you'd like to receive this perk, head on over to patreon.com slash darkcoldnight to learn more. If you'd like to donate one time instead, and not receive the soundtrack perk, you can buy me however many metaphorical coffees you like at ko-fi.com slash darkcoldnight. Also, we have t-shirts and hoodies for On a Dark Cold Night available at bonfire.com slash on-a-dark-cold-night. Next up, I'd like to thank our latest reviewer of the show on iTunes, and they're also our first review from Belgium. And that's Tup Teen. Thanks so much for the lovely review and the five-star rating, Tup Teen. I'm so happy to hear that you're enjoying the show. 
If you'd like to support the show in a similar way, you can leave a review on iTunes, Stitcher, Facebook, or anywhere else you like to spread the word about podcasts. And speaking of Facebook, a great way to keep in touch with me and the show is via social media. You can follow me on Twitter at a dark cold night, Instagram at dark cold night podcast, and on my Facebook or YouTube page, it's just called on a dark cold night. Thank you so much for listening tonight, my friends. I was going to jump in and say something apologetic about the weirdness of this week's episode, but I think we're very past that, aren't we? I'm not interested in dishonesty or judgment, so I'm trying to just offer my stories to you without apology or explanation. I hope you enjoyed this one. What color is the crystal of your bones right now? What color do you want the crystal of your bones to be? That's what they are. Good night, my friends. Sweet dreams. This podcast has been brought to you by the Sonar Network. Sonar.